Welcome to the Beyond 3D podcast, where we explore all things 3D and the important role that 3D data plays throughout the manufacturing process, driving decisions throughout a product's life cycle. Here, we talk with industry analysts, business owners, developers, and industry influencers, and hear real stories that you can relate to and learn from, and know which trends and technologies apply to your business. So join us as we go Beyond 3D. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Beyond 3D. My name is Angela Simos, and I am here with Gavin Bridgman, CTO of TechSoft 3D. Hi, Gavin. Hello, Angela. Nice to be here. And our guest today is Ken Alger, who is a developer advocate with MondoDB, but also has been named one of the industry's most influential developer advocates. So we're really excited to have you here with us today, Ken. Thanks for joining. You bet. Excited to be here. So let's just kick it off and have you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into software development and your position today. Sure. So I took kind of a strange route to where I am. So I started off, you know, working with computers when I was a kid and did a lot of development back then on Commodore 64s, doing gaming stuff. And then it moved up into the, you know, the original IBM PC style of things. And I did my own spreadsheets and word processing software way back when. That took me kind of through high school and college. And I didn't major in computer science in college, but I was still kind of doing a lot of that. And just kind of, as kids do, got tuckered out of writing code all day long. So mm-hmm. I kind of took a detour, went through a lot of different careers along the way. And about five years ago, decided I really should be doing technology. It's a little bit more stable for myself and my family, and it's where I'm really interested. So I um, took a job at a tech ed company where I taught Python and Android and some data science development things, and then got a job at MongoDB as a developer advocate about a year and a half ago. So interesting that you started off early on and then took a break and came back to it. So how was that coming back to it? I mean, things had changed so much. Yeah, things had changed. I mean, all my roles that I'd had along the way had a piece of technology to it. So whether it was, you know, working in an office and writing scripts to kind of automate boring menial tasks that you have to do. So I wasn't completely out of it, but it just wasn't my full-time sort of job. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Getting back into it, yeah, there was a big learning curve. Like, my, you know, my first web pages that I did way back when didn't have CSS. <laughs> and so that was a learning curve. And it wasn't really JavaScript way back when. So that was another thing to kind of throw into the mix. So there was certainly a lot to learn, but it certainly is manageable. And so in the past few years, so you've been with MondoDB for about a year and a half, you said, but you've been really back at it for about five years what have been the biggest changes in software development specifically that you've seen? Um, mostly it's, you know, speed of, of mm-hmm. what, what development cycles are like, what developers want in terms of being able to go out and innovate and that sort of thing, right? Like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, Software developers were not the most expensive part of the software development cycle. 
now they're pretty expensive, right? Mm-hmm. So everybody's kind of pushing the the envelope further and wanting to really kind of speed things up. So that's kind of where MongoDB really impressed me when I first discovered them about five years ago was just the different way that they do things in terms of the database. Mm-hmm. You know, just it creates a much better, faster way to work with with your data. Mm-hmm. And Gavin, what, what's your thoughts on how software development has changed? Well, I think Ken hit it, hit it on the head there. I think, you know, a lot of development today is really plugging things together. Mm-hmm. Be it MongoDB, be it, you know, a whole host of tool set that people have today really mean that what you're doing a lot of is plugging things together rather than developing complicated pieces of code. And I think that's that's one of the fundamental changes. And, and you know, there's there's benefits to that. I think, you know, there's a, software development is a much more accessible Mm-hmm. Um, profession to a lot more people than it used to be. Yeah, I, and I think I mean one of the, the big things that developers want nowadays is to be able to go up and concentrate on what their business need mm-hmm. is, right? So if you're building Twitter, you don't really want to have to figure out how to text message somebody, right? So you're mm-hmm. going to use a service like Twilio. So it's kind of the the pick and choose and figure out how to integrate everything together, and that's where as a database company, we really try and make you not have to worry about that data layer, make it super fast and easily accessible through our clouds offerings and mm-hmm. products so that you can just concentrate on what you're good at and what you want to make money at. And so now because there are there's this element of you know putting things together more so these days, talk about the difference between or the role or how software developers and software architects actually work together and, um, you know, how that has evolved. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of the software architects come from the the developer background and they've just kind of progressed up and not that everybody has to have that career path of getting to a software architect, but they have kind of the business mindset of, of what it's going to take. And then also they know that development background. So they know, hey, implementing this feature should take roughly this amount of time. And they know how to communicate between the developers to the stakeholders for the project. Gavin, thoughts yeah, on that? Yeah, yeah like I, I think it's a similar in a similar vein. I, I also think you know, one thing that has changed a, a lot is the user experience is such a bigger part of um, software design these, these mm-hmm. days. It's not about checkmark features. So I think these software architects have a much stronger usability background as well. Yeah, that makes so, a lot of sense. Yeah. And so, Ken, I'm curious, in your role as a developer advocate and you know engaging with lots of developers, what has become most important to them, whether it's furthering their career or, or keeping their skills fresh or what has become really most relevant for them? In the last couple of years? I mean, I think keeping skills fresh and current is super vital in this industry. It changes so quickly that if you don't stay current, you're going to be working, you know, on a mainframe in five years, sitting in the back doing COBOL development on a tax system for a state, right? Which is fine. It's a very great job. You can get paid very well. 
but you're not kind of really staying up on the cutting edge. And I think mm-hmm. for the vast majority of developers, that's what their hopes and dreams are, is that they're staying up on that cutting edge of, of technology. And with that, you know, development speed, like I talked about, and then the flexibility to kind of use your own tools is really important for a developer. Kind of gone are the days where you're just a Java shop, right? Like inevitably somebody in the basement corner of the the room is going to have an IoT project, for example, that they're Mm -hmm. kind of tinkering with at home and then they bring it into their shop and they're doing it all in JavaScript while their company might be a Java place. And eventually, you know, they share it with their friends and then it kind of gets implemented throughout the company, maybe unbeknownst to to whomever, but now all of a sudden it's a vital part of their team or their division's stuff and there they go. So along the, that, that path, there, you know, that developer is choosing React and MongoDB and all sorts of different frameworks that they're cobbling together that may not be kind of on the corporate approved list, but they've had mm-hmm. that flexibility to, to implement those things. And how, how does that impact the, I guess, management of the role, right? If you are pulling all these different things together, does that make it, I guess, harder to manage and, and keep your finger on the pulse of all these new SDKs and APIs that are coming around? And what do I, you know, are there like a, a kind of a core set that I use for a lot of things, but then having to learn about new ones that are coming. How do you find people manage the volume of new things that are coming out? It is incredibly hard. <laughs> um, I imagine. You know, you we have, I mean, there's, like I said, it's like drinking from a fire hose with mm-hmm. technology. And to keep your, your head on your shoulders, you just kind of go through and you kind of try and set some standards internally for, I don't know, you have to wait for at least a version 1.0 in order to use a, a framework perhaps, or it needs to have X, Y, and Z feature set in, before you can implement it internally. But again, you're inevitably, somebody in there is gonna kind of buck the system and they're gonna start their own little side project and they're gonna share with their friends and coworkers and all of a sudden you have this thing that you're like, oh, that would be great. We'd love to roll that out, but perhaps you know, the security isn't there mm-hmm. within that, that feature set. So we need to kind of wait and hold off before we can do that. So let's talk about cloud a little bit, because this sort of ties into that in terms of there's a lot of cloud tools out there, right? It's something that's been around for a while. It's been a hot topic for a while. So what do you see as some of the biggest, uh, I guess, opportunities and even challenges when it comes to the cloud these days? You know, first of all, I think we're in the very early innings of cloud computing. And I think it's just going to get bigger and bigger. For MongoDB and our managed cloud database Atlas, it runs right now across AWS and Microsoft Azure and GCP. So having that kind of flexibility with the cloud is really important. And it's just really going to cloud technology is just going to get bigger and bigger. And I think that's kind of where computing by and large is going to be going. Do you think we'll get to a point where everything will be in the cloud? Um, I think there's still going to be applications that can't for various security reasons. 
there's still, we still have a lot of customers that are very paranoid about somebody else managing the data. I mean, as a database company, that's, that's where we're focused on. And that gets, I mean, it, I can understand kind of the, the scared factor of that, Mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. where's my data? Is it in Oregon? Is it in Virginia? Is it in Bahrain? I don't know exactly. So now I'm concerned about that. Right. So security is still an issue then for sure. Gavin, TechSoft 3D does a lot with cloud. SDKs enable cloud development. And so what are your thoughts on, you know, where it's going? Yeah, like I, I would agree a lot with a lot of what Ken said. In, in a little more in the specific, in the engineering world, a lot of uh, these vendors, their IP is in their designs. And so they're extremely uncomfortable about putting their designs on the cloud. So we'll, private clouds are, are pretty prevalent when you look at places mm-hmm. like Boeing and Daimler or, or some of these large manufacturers. So, and I think their security concerns are valid and they're so paranoid that I probably don't see things changing there. That said, where I see there's a massive opportunity is, is in this true IoT, people are kind of starting to connect uh, the physical world to their digital assets. And so it allows somebody to be able to virtually view their factory and see where everything is. And, you know, you're starting to see more and more of that happening. You have cars driving around digitally, you know, scanning in areas. So I think this digital representation of the world is becoming more and more pervasive. And I think there's massive opportunities there. So I think there's a huge growth opportunity in the engineering market as the physical world is getting more connected to their digital data and all this digital Mm -hmm. data is is coming from the kind of engineering world. So I think the cloud, that's where I think there's a ma- there's going to be a massive opportunity is this, you know, the engineering data, it, within engineering use cases today, you know, there's a lot of security concerns around that. But as it looks like getting out of the engineering world and into the real world, that's where you start seeing, I see really massive opportunities. And what about AR as well, AR or VR? Like I think with augmented reality, like you hear a Tim Cook talk or uh, you know some of these leaders in our in our industry, and they talk about AR being this transformative technology. And I think when we look out into the future, I truly believe there will be a digital dimension. So, for example, like these IoT devices emitting information, be it temperature in a room, be it being able to put on glasses and have an X-ray view of your building and be able to see all this, the piping that's behind the wall. So this idea of the digital dimension, I think, is going to happen. And this digital twin is, is, is already exists today. And augmented reality is a way to view that. And right now, they don't have that you know, killer app, as they call it, but that killer piece of hardware where people can put on a set of glasses and get this digital dimension, uh, I think, is really going to come on. And AR is going to enable that. Now, AR today is really about allowing you to kind of place 3D objects so you can place Pokemon on, on a table and, and, and look around it. Uh, but that's really, well, that's kind of fun. It's not really that useful. When you start getting to a place where somebody can put in, an engineer can go into a building and put on glasses and see uh, where all the pipe work is behind the walls, that's starting to be, bring mm-hmm. some real uh, value. Mm-hmm. When somebody mm-hmm. can put on glasses, walk down a street and start knowing what the, you know, <laughs> 
the voting <laughs> history of a particular house or what their energy consumption, all these kind of things are going to be where I think AR is going to really explode and, and be extremely mm-hmm. useful as you and this kind of digital dimension. And so you mentioned companies like Boeing and Daimler, right? Who have the budgets to implement and, and play around, even experiment with some of these technologies. But when you think about small to mid-sized companies that see all these things happening, but don't have the big budgets, we'll have Ken answer this first. How do you work with some of those smaller companies or what would be your advice to some of the smaller mid-sized companies that want to get into the cloud, start using AR, VR, or some of these other tech trends? They don't have the funds to hire an entire in-house development team kind of thing. So how do you work with customers in, in that level that still want to stay competitive and, and take advantage of trends? Yeah, that's a great question. So to start with, I think one of the great benefits of cloud offerings like AWS and GCP and Azure is they have a lot of those kind of pick and choose, build it yourself sorts of features available. So you don't necessarily need to be an expert in AR or machine learning or a whole host of other things, right? So you can choose GCP, you know, Google Google Cloud Service um, or Google Cloud Platform, and put your data up there and use the Google tools that they have right out of the box on your data. And you can kind of become competitive in that fashion. And then if AWS has you know, Lambda, for example, and you really want to use it there, you can have kind of a multi-cloud offering that mm-hmm. we provide here with MongoDB that allows you to, to utilize services from all the big three. Okay. And Gavin, TechSoft you know, also has uh, customers at different levels. So how have you seen some of the smaller to mid-sized companies getting through and, and taking advantage of some of these technologies? Well, I think that's what that's where that's where we we kind of come in, right? It, these people who are providing tools. Previously, these companies would have the resource to be able to build their own MongoDB and have it only for their internal use. And I think how a lot of these guys are now competing is they're able to get some open source tools or MongoDB or Hoops technology, and it really puts them at a much higher level, much higher higher starting point than they would have been previously. So I think that's how they're competing, mm-hmm. is using tools. Uh, tools work well with outsourced development because you're working with foundational tools that are documented. And so if you do have turnover, which is a challenge when you're outsourcing, you at least have documented tools that people can use. Mm-hmm. So I think from, from my perspective, the, it's never been easier for the small guy to compete with the big guy. It's encouraging. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, we are coming up on our time. So I'm just going to throw out one last question to both of you. And that would be when you think about, you know, the software development world or software and the digital world in general, what's the most exciting thing for you? Ken? Yeah, I think, I think cloud, like I said, we're in such early stages of the cloud and where it's going to be going in the future is really going to be exciting. Right, it's going to, you know, especially with multi-cloud and the idea of being able to store your data where you want it and use the tools that are needed on your data specifically, and it's going to allow, you know, in the past you've really kind of had that vendor lock-in mm-hmm. by buying 
enabling multi-cloud offerings, you kind of avoid that lock-in. Mm-hmm, so I, mm-hmm. I think the cloud is really where where things are moving, and I'm excited to see it. Gavin? Yeah, for me, it's, you know, I, I've always got my little world of the engineering world. So it's kind of plays on top of the cloud. But just this idea of, you know, we have maps today and you have 3D maps uh, with the kind of Google Earth feeling, you know, the thought of that being augmented with IoT data that really brings that next level where you really have a live representation of the physical world in in digital space and all the opportunities that that can arise. Is, I think is going to be pretty, pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. I'd agree. Well, that brings us to a close, gentlemen. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Ken, for, for being with us. And um, thank you, Gavin, as always, for being here. Absolutely. Thank you, Angela. And thank you, everybody out there, for listening to another episode of Beyond 3D. If you haven't hit subscribe, please do and share it with your friends and colleagues um, to listen in. And if you are so inclined, please write us a review on iTunes. That'll help more software folks and engineers uh, find us as they're looking for good conversations to listen to. So with that, we'll wrap it up and say thanks for joining and have a wonderful day. Thank you for joining us on the Beyond 3D podcast hosted by TechSoft3D. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review or subscribe on SoundCloud. To listen to past episodes or learn more about TechSoft3D, visit www.techsoft3d.com forward slash blog. Send us comments and suggestions at info at techsoft3d.com. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next episode of Beyond 3D.